North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Today on The Impossible State, we are joined by the great Sumi Terry and by Christian Davies, who is the sole correspondent for the Financial Times since September 2021. Today, we're going to be really talking about South Korea, not so much about North Korea as we normally do. And the ROK presidential election is coming up on March 9th. The Korean presidents serve a single five-year term. And so this is a big deal. Victor, I wanted to ask you to lead off. What do you think is going to happen? This, this, is, a, this is a fascinating race, to say the least. Yeah, it is a fascinating race, Andrew, for a number of reasons. You know, the first is it's out of cycle, if you will, because... The last president took over based on an extraordinary impeachment of the former president, Park Geun-hye. So this election is happening in, happening in March, which normally doesn't happen historically. The second is that it's an extremely tight race uh, right now. And uh, the level of mudslinging is pretty high, even for a South Korean election. It's pretty high with scandals on both sides and skeletons coming out of the closet on pretty much a daily basis, but it's extremely tight. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it looked like Governor Lee, the ruling party liberal candidate, had it wrapped up. But then over the past week, the opposition party conservative candidate, Yun, appears to have made up ground and is inching ahead. Then at the same time, you have third party candidates, one of whom is actually gaining more and more support. Um, so it's quite, you know, it's quite interesting. And um, it's hard to, you know, Frank, I don't know how Sue and Christian, I don't feel like I, you can pick a winner right now because it's it's like the last minute of these NFL playoffs that the score keeps changing depending on who has the ball. Right. Who's going to get the ball last? So I think, you know, it, this is extremely tight and I don't think you can handicap it one way or the other right now. So, you know, aside from the third party candidate, with all the mudslinging, with the with the intensity, with the skeletons, with the the too close to call, this sounds kind of like an American election, not a, not a Korean election. Yeah, I mean it does, except that in in Korea, you know, I mean politics really is a blood sport in in South Korea. But yeah, it's extremely close, and you know, every I don't know, we're watching the you know the six or eight polls whenever they come out to see how you know to see how things change, but extremely close. I think I would just add to what Victor just said by saying, though, that sentiment about the outgoing president, President Moon, may be just as important as support for the actual candidates, right, Yoon or Lee. So that does factor in a little bit. Um, I saw a recent poll that says 60% uh, of people supported a change of government. So in theory, that should support the opposition party and candidate Yoon. But again, as Victor said, there's a series of scandals that hurt, you know, Yoon has scandals with his wife and everything else. So it's really hard to tell. But still, I do think that matters a little bit. 
And I'll just say, you know, I think this election also comes down to a lot of domestic issues, right, rather than foreign policy issues, you know, so housing prices, income inequality, household debt, and so on, COVID, youth vote. But I, I, I don't think we'll know until the very, very last second. I mean, it'll be a nail biter to the end, I think. Christian, you're covering this day to day. What do we know about each candidate as well as the third party candidates? Well, the two main candidates have really fascinatingly different backgrounds and biographies, which uh, set this up as a, a drama worthy of the most extreme uh, K-drama you can possibly imagine. I mean, it, you know, people uh, often wonder when they watch Korean entertainment and Korea drama where these extreme narratives and twists and turns come from. And I think once you start covering South Korean politics, you get some idea of where, where they originate. I mean, to begin with, Yoon Suk-yul, the candidate for the opposition Conservative Party, he's very interesting because uh, on the one hand, he has impeccable credentials as a member of the Conservative establishment. But on the other hand, he has no credentials whatsoever as a politician. He's a career prosecutor who was involved in high profile prosecutions of both Democratic and Conservative politicians uh, over the course of his career. Uh, Most famously, the spectacular scandal that led to the jailing both of the uh, heir to the Samsung empire, uh, Lee Jae-yong, and Park Geun-hye, uh, the former Conservative president, uh, until just early last year, March 2021, uh, he actually served in the Democratic administration of Democratic President Moon Jae-in uh, as Prosecutor General, where he proceeded to investigate the Justice Minister in his own administration, which in turn led him to be accused of all kinds of abuses of power uh, himself in a sort of claim and counterclaim, which I think is impossible for someone such as me who only arrived in Korea recently to unravel. The main point is that uh, having resigned in March 2021, he was uh, respected in a relatively bipartisan sense as a, as a fearless independent prosecutor. Um, he sort of recast himself as a conservative politician and ended up standing up in the Conservative Party primaries, where he proceeded to get involved in an uh, incredible series of, uh, of gaffes. I mean, this is a politician, uh, a public figure with so little experience as a politician who has a real, what we call in England, foot-in-mouth syndrome. Um, just some examples of, of uh, gaffes. He's advocated a 120-hour uh, work week. Uh, he's blamed feminists for South Korea's low birth rates. Uh, He has claimed that, quote, poor people should be allowed to eat substandard food for lower prices. Um, More seriously, he's praised the right wing dictator from the uh, 1980s, Chun Do Hwan, um, saying that many people still consider Chun as having done well in politics, except for the military coup and the Gwangju uprisings. Those are two pretty big caveats. Seizing power with the military and uh, torturing, killing thousands of of citizens. But apart from that, um, he was obviously a, a leader to emulate. This doesn't sound like a winning strategy. <laughs> well, on, on top of that, he uh, managed to make himself an object of uh, ridicule. One of the things that, that became a, a sort of a, an instant meme in South Korea was uh, during a primary debate, he appeared with a the Chinese symbol for king on his hand, which is something that is uh, associated with shamanism. And this is a very uh, sensitive subject for South Korean conservatives because the shaman, the shamanistic associations of Park Hane. 
And this led to, which I think is still uh, my favorite excuse or, or reasoning from a spokesperson for any politician. Uh, he had said that a, a friendly neighbor had drawn this symbol on his hand in the morning that day and that he hadn't had a chance to, to wash it off. And of course, during a pandemic, people were asking, well, don't you wash your hands? And his spokesperson <laughs> said that, well, he washes his fingers, suggesting that uh, maybe he washes his fingers, but not his hands, uh, which gives a new meaning to the phrase digital hygiene. On top of that, it turned out that he uh, consorts uh, with an uh, anal acupuncturist, which is maybe appropriate for someone who spent his career puncturing holes in legal briefs. Oh my goodness. You know, this is that the, that phrase has never been said on the impossible state and and now it has. I, I can keep them going. I mean, uh, it's also why he's been able to fight maybe such an effective rearguard action uh, during uh, during this election. <laughs> but Christian, I'm sure you'll get to this even with all of that, anal acupuncturist and all of this. Uh, the scandal also really is about his wife, poor wife, Kim Gun hee right? I'm sure he'll get to that. Right. And then she has right. all kinds of scandal, exaggerating, fabricating resume, rumors about the past as a hostess, you know, hostess bar. All these um, scandals and gaffes are actually before he's even secured the nomination for the campaign. So uh, once we get on to the campaign itself, then, then yes, I mean, family members on both sides actually emerge as sort of uh, supporting characters in this drama. Uh, I mean, I, I think I should say on the anal acupuncture, I mean, I was a little bit confused because as someone who's only arrived in Korea recently, I had to check with Korean friends and colleagues whether anal acupuncture was maybe just a quite widespread traditional practice in Korea, but I've been assured that it absolutely isn't. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was, a, that was a, a, another thing. So it, what, what is very interesting is someone who was actually brought in from the outside precisely because he was regarded as a very serious, substantial figure has been reduced to an object of ridicule amongst obviously not all voters, but many voters very, very uh, quickly. Now, uh, his opponent, Lee Jae-myung from the ruling uh, Democratic Party is also fascinating in, a, in a, a really completely different way. I mean, he couldn't be more different. He's one of, uh, I believe, nine children. It comes from a, a poor farming family in, uh, from a provincial town in the east of the country. He didn't attend middle or high school uh, and was actually a child factory worker in his, in, in his early teenage years in the city of Songnam outside of Seoul. And as a young man suffered several industrial accidents and is in fact meant to be partially deaf uh, due to having been beaten by, by his bosses. And he's really uh, an autodidact who, through self-study, ended up going to university, getting a law degree and becoming uh, a labor and human rights lawyer and a social campaigner who campaigned against uh, entrenched interests, uh, economic and conservative interests, and eventually rose to being the mayor of Songnam between 2010 and 2018. And then later to be the governor of uh, Gyeonggi province, which is the, the province in which uh, Seoul is found. And he is someone who really divides opinion, including on the left of South Korean politics. I mean, to his supporters, he's a, a kind of street fighter who combines a no-nonsense style with very generous uh, social welfare policies. But to his opponents, he's uh, vulgar, tainted by scandal, 
uh, and is regarded by uh, not just by conservatives, but by many more moderate uh, Democrats uh, as an economic populist. He's, he's really the ultimate retail politician who's able to identify issues that resonate with voters who struggle economically. But he's also got this reputation as a bulldozer who maybe gets things done, but gets his hands dirty in the process. And his uh, time as mayor of Songnam in particular is associated uh, with a sort of building boom, a real estate development boom. And anyone who is familiar, uh, well, with politics anywhere in the world where there are strong charismatic political leaders in places where there are, there are large real estate developments, you tend to get accusations of, uh, of corruption uh, and even potentially, although um, of course I, I couldn't su- substantiate this, uh, allegations of associations with, uh, uh, with organized crime. Oh, we know a little something about that. Right. <laughs> so his, uh, his vulgarity in particular means that he uh, has been regarded as, uh, by many in South Korea as, as uh, potentially not fit to hold the office. I mean, He's especially famous for his attacks of critics on social media, telling journalists or critics that they should shove their head in the toilet, or that his critics were retarded children with mismatched eyes. These are these are quotes, obviously. Uh, he has a drink driving conviction. He has a nephew who's been convicted of a double murder. His son has been accused of illegal gambling and consorting with uh, with prostitutes. And meanwhile. At least three witnesses to two scandals in which he's been alleged to be associated have turned up dead in the last two months, with these investigations going on in parallel to the campaign. Um, so there's, there's, of course, maybe familiar to Americans with the 2016 election, when you have investigations going on in parallel uh, with elections, especially when you have uh, notoriously leaky law enforcement agencies, then you have this very high sense of the of the possible, of something dramatic potentially happening, happening at any time, with uh, really with both candidates. The whole perception of vulgarity, Andrew, it's, it's because he also, there is a tape recording of him just going off uh, like to his sister-in-law that everybody has downloaded and listened to. So it's not like you can even deny it. it just, it's captured where everybody could hear it. So this is a serious, I mean, that's, that's his scandal. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, Victor. No, it, I mean, it is like a K-drama. I mean, it really is like a K-drama. But just a few, a couple of observations. First on Lee, you know, Governor Lee, I mean, he, he follows like a very direct lineage from you know, Moon Jae-in, No Mi-hyun, in the sense that all three of them are sort of self-educated, you know, passed the bar exam, became human rights lawyers. I mean, they're very, you know, they have a very similar sort of professional profile growing up. The thing about Lee, you know, when you're a governor or a mayor in Seoul, I mean, Lee is known to be a bulldozer, but when you're a governor and a mayor in Seoul and you want to get things done, you're a bulldozer. There's really no other way about, I mean, that, that remember, Sue, that's what they said about Lee Myung-bak called him the bulldozer. And, and as Christian said, if you're talking about big real estate construction projects, you know, I mean, it's Korea. There's going to be money that changes hands and it's very easy to get pulled into put, pulled into all that. But <clears throat> the other thing I would say about the whole, because it is, it, it's just astounding when you look at the, the sort of scandals and all these things that come out. But it's the, you know, it's the active search for these things as a way to try to defame the candidate in the eyes of the Korean people, right? And so I think part of that, and it's, it, you know, hardly about the issues, it's all about all this stuff. And I think part of that is just that there's this unreal expectation 
that the political leaders are supposed to be somehow held to a standard of absolute purity, right? And, you know, when they are Koreans operating in a Korean society, Korean politics, Korean business, uh, and they're human beings, right? They're, they're just like everybody else who loses their temper and all this stuff. So, but there's this fixation on this and the desire to continue to dig it up by the media and by opponents of the candidates in the hopes that it's going to change the perception of views, right, of the people, or of the people who, who, who vote. And I'm not sure in the end, Sue or Kristen, I'm not sure in the end if it actually changes the way people vote. I mean, the, you know, the, the, we know other reasons people vote based on income, based on region, all the other. But does it actually change? Like, if Yun goes to an acupuncturist, anal acupuncturist, does that really cause someone to say, "Oh, I'm not going to vote for him. I'm going to vote for Lee." Right? I mean, it's not clear to me. But but this is what the election appears to be all about. I mean, we haven't talked about issues yet, but this is a big part of it. And again, my point is, I don't know if it creates any any change in the way people vote. Well, but when you look at, you know, there was a lot of attacks on Yoon's wife and Yoon suffered in terms of polls a couple of weeks ago when it was the, she was at the height of the scandal. And now Yoon's polls went up because people are now a little bit more sympathetic after this whole recording with the reporter came out about his wife. I just say, I was just say, you know, this fascination with also going after the wives. I'm, as a woman, I'm, I'm also like disturbed by that. I mean, look at the United States. I mean, yes, there, we talked a lot about Melania Trump, but it, it's not like that prevented Trump from getting pre- becoming president. Or look at France. I mean, my goodness. Can you imagine if, if Macron and Bridget's story was unfolding in South Korea? You know, she was a teacher. You know, she's like 24 years uh, his senior, right? Um, when they met, like he was like 16 years old. Anyway, so I, I wish that they would just stick with the candidates and leave the wives and family alone, but it is what it is. It's clearly the case that in every country, there is a problem of misogyny when it comes to the coverage, not just of wives, but of course of female candidates themselves. But, uh, uh, you know, w- without, of course, at all excusing uh, any double standards that, that are always applied to women candidates and spouses of, of, of male candidates. Uh, you know, we, we should mention what the what Yoon's uh, wife has been recorded saying. I mean, I mean, first of all, before any recording, talking about any recordings, I mean, she she has admitted and apologized for falsifying what looks like huge swathes of her uh, of her CV of essentially claiming to have had educational qualifications that she didn't have in order to secure positions that she wasn't qualified for. Now, when you think about the premium that is placed in Korea on this really intense and in many ways um, uh, sort of devastating, even psychologically, competition, especially in the realm of education, uh, that especially young Koreans have to go through. I mean, it, 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 um, that really does uh, resonate with people. Secondly, what the kinds of things she was talking about I mean, first of all, she said that when she reaches the Blue House, uh, i.e. the the presidential uh, residence uh, of the South Korean president, that the journalists who'd been criticizing her husband would all be sent to prison. Uh, She also said that the reason why uh, conservatives tended not to have Me Too scandals was because they tended to pay off their victims, uh, as well as defending, you know, another conservative politician who's been convicted of rape and so on. So, you know, these are... (laughs) She, she um, really, whatever the rights or wrongs of uh, spouses being dragged into campaigns, I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, comments on her appearance or how she dresses or things like that. And it really has had an effect on the campaign. I mean, Yoon was leading and 
whether it's, uh, you know, when I speak to people, Yoon's wife comes up time and time and time again. You know, whether or not this should be the case, whether or not this is fair, whether or not uh, what she has said or done justifies this, it does seem to be clear that it has been a factor in the election. And it's worth noting in that sense. Well, I was going to say, so with all this, all these shenanigans going on, what do the South Korean people think? And do they actually like any of these candidates? And how did these candidates, you know, with all of this baggage, how do they become popular? Well, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, politics in Korea is very much personality driven. Korea is a vibrant democracy compared to other democracies. The party system is not as strong in Korea. Parties change all the time. Candidates are really person, you know, the campaigns and parties are led by personalities. And so, I mean, you know, they are charismatic, all of them in one sense or another. And, you know, that's how they gain popularity. And you see politicians switching sides often. We, you know, these are not necessarily things we see in the United States very often. So it's a different type of democracy. And, uh, you know, I think there are some core issues in this election that matter, that really matter to the public. Whether either of the candidates or any of the candidates actually have a plan for dealing with that is very different from what they'll say in the campaign, I think, to be a little bit cynical about it. But I don't know. I don't know how Christian and Sue feel. First of all, I think I have tried to to be fair, to outline what is attractive in the eyes of many voters of both candidates. For Yoon, it is his record as a prosecutor, having prosecuted politicians on both sides of the aisle. Of course, he's uh, having done that, he's been drawn into, you know, he has had all kind of allegations made against him about whether maybe improperly using his, his powers uh, as a prosecutor. But of course, this is a classic thing when there is disillusionment with uh, political establishments is they tend to draw in candidates from the outside. In America, they drew in <laughs> not so long ago someone from the world of business. Uh, in South Korea, they they drew in a, a prosecutor who, until March last year, was was not a politician. In the case of Lee, he has a sort of different brand of politics, different style of politics, um, to his democratic predecessor Moon Jae-in. And in, in a sense, is regarded as having the qualities that Moon is regarded as lacking. And you know, Moon is often regarded as being a quite a big disappointment in terms of reform of the country, especially reform of the economy and questions of uh, cost of living, property prices, uh, inequality, people struggling uh, on that front. Um, and I think also, you know, uh, Lee is seen as having had a good pandemic as uh, governor of Gyeonggi province. I mean, the pandemics are good moments for bulldozers to um, to shine, you know, to take action. And he was regarded as taking harsher action. He was not just on the economic front, but in terms of uh, testing, uh, quite controversial, singling out foreigners for testing. Um, but that was that was pretty popular as well. So, you know, having had a good pandemic and having been seen as someone who who takes action that maybe the current president uh, hasn't been taken. So that, that's the first thing. They do have things in their biographies that attract people. And the second thing, of course, is that electorates don't really choose the candidates that they are presented with. Parties do. And parties have their own very complex set of uh, interests and factional factional divisions. So you know, who is presented to the electorate may not necessarily be who the electorate would like, but they are who they get. Christian, you may have introduced a new terminology to political races that somebody could have a quote unquote good pandemic. It's like, you know, someone had a good fourth quarter. <laughs> really interesting. So Sue, 
What are the candidates' views on on North Korea? Well, first, I was going to say there's a third party candidate that that's not as tainted by scandals right now, and he's going to play a role if if there is not a union of some kind between Yoon and this third party third candidate An Chersu. On North Korea, you're asking about the policies. You know, Lee. I think if Lee Jae Myung becomes president, honestly, it's going to be more of a continuation of what we've seen. Uh, from Moon Jae-in's policy, leave, although they say, you know, we are all about pragmatism, real politic. So on long issues, like on long-term inter-Korea issues like unification, what he's saying is, okay, you know, population in both North and South Korea doesn't really support it. So we're not going to really necessarily go for it. We're going to approach all these issues from a practical lens without ideological consideration. On North Korea, he said, you know, all the practical things like, you know, he will consider snapback sanctions. He's not going to go for a grand bargain because that's going to be unlikely to succeed. That he will work concretely with United States and South Korea and uh, United States and North Korea trilaterally. You know, all of this. It's a lot of talk about pragmatic, pragmatism and so on. But I, I do honestly think it's going to be more or less same as Moon's uh, North Korea policy, what we have uh, come used to. And then, of course, with Yoon, it's not really clear. It's not detailed out, but we know what conservative position is more like. It's a little bit more, um, let's say, a harder, a hard, more hard line. But usually, traditionally, it's like emphasizing strengthening of the U.S. alliance, even as a North Korea, from a North Korea policy perspective. Yoon will be at least less muted on North Korea's human rights abuses, which we're not going to hear much about human rights stuff from Lee Jae-myung. You know, so and so on, you know, more vocal about China's lack of, you know, implementing sanctions or North Korea sanctions violations. Yun would be less inclined to give free concessions or turn the other cheek if there is a provocation of some sort. So, you know, this is sort of broad stroke what we can expect, either a continuation of moon or a little bit of uh, a shift, you know, but then we'll see what they or, you know, when Park Geun-hye came into the office, that's the other conservative president who was impeached. She talked a lot about trust politics and building trust with North Korea and alignment policy. All of that went out the door because North Koreans, the way they acted, right? They, two weeks before Park Geun-hye's inauguration, they conducted a third nuclear test, right? That was under the first nuclear test actually under Kim Jong-un, you know, and that followed that test that was an underground test that followed weeks of threats on building up nuclear weapons capacity and all of that. So all the rhetoric, campaign rhetoric sort of had to go out the door when, you know, because she had to respond to North Korea's provocations. And I, I'm kind of concerned that that what we saw when Park Geun-hye came to the office, that dynamic right there, like two weeks before the inauguration, nuclear tests and all of that, we could potentially see it this year. Victor, I want to ask you, what, what are the foreign policy differences between the major candidates here? Um, so, I mean, I think Sue has it right on on the North Korea side. I mean, I, I think, and I wrote about this in Foreign Policy, I think that there are, there are differences, and I think pretty important ones for the United States, at least. You know, on the alliance, of course, both sides want to have a strong alliance with the United States, but, you know, there are issues like, for example, wartime OPCON transition, right, the transfer of wartime authority, where... You know, I think if Lee were to win, he would focus on trying to do this quickly, uh, you know, really following the Moon government line and pressing the timeline, trying to move as quickly as possible to finish or even 
leapfrog some of the authorizations and just move forward with uh, the transition. Whereas I think the Yun side would be more in favor of following the timeline that has been laid out. Joint military exercises, you know, this again relates to North Korea. You know, are they going to continue the suspension of the exercises as Trump promised out of the Singapore summit, or are they going to continue to move them forward? I think a big one that people don't really talk about is nuclear energy. The current government has a phase-out plan for nuclear energy, both in terms of use as well as production of reactors. I, and I think, you know, Yun, you may follow that, but uh, Yun has talked openly about not doing the phase-out, and that, you know, has huge implications for the United States, too, because we're not so much in the nuclear energy business, but we want countries like Korea to be the ones that are helping to set the rules and norms before Moon came in and put in the phase out, South Korea had a big uh, nuclear energy deal with UAE. And so uh, there's a lot of demand for re reactors around the world. And so that matters for the United States. You know, the big one, of course, is China, where I think the Lee government's views on China, again, are informed by their North Korea policy and the perception that they need China in terms of working to try to get reconciliation with North Korea. And I think that drives a lot of their arm's length approach to some of the tougher coalitional diplomacy efforts by Biden. Whereas I think Yun's folks have been openly more skeptical of China and uh, and interested in things like the Quad. And I think Yun has talked about a phased approach to the Quad, uh, basically laying out a pathway where they'd start by participating in some of the Quad's working groups on global health and um, supply chains and things, and eventually moving to membership. And we haven't heard the same thing from the Lee side. So I think there are quite a you know, few things out there. You know, as you know, Andrew, we had the trade minister at CSIS yesterday, and you know, he's, he's, talked quite, he's talked quite a bit about South Korea's application to CPTPP, South Korea wanting to join deep, you know, the DEPA framework. You know, I, I think on those things, I hope that there's going to be consistency, whether it's Lee or Yun that win, that on some of these trade issues where Korea is being much more proactive and aggressive in terms of wanting to be part of the regional frameworks. I, I hope that that continues. I actually, I mean, Christian could probably say, I, I'm not sure where the candidates stand on things like DEPA and CPTPP. But I, when I talked to the trade minister last night after our event, I was saying, I hope that what you're laying out is what both candidates will put forward if they were to come into office. Sure. Well, you know, one thing we haven't gotten to yet amid all the shenanigans is which is the candidate that promised men who are follically challenged that they get free Rogaine if they vote for him? I mentioned before about uh, Lee Jae-myung being a famously retail politician who's able to identify uh, the hot-button issues that really resonate uh, with voters. One of his offerings has been that uh, essentially that baldness will be treated um, by the Korean, uh, Korean Health Service. I mean, as a member of the bald community myself, I have to say I'm mildly in insulted um, by this. Uh, he actually... One of his reasons was that this was psychologically damaging because of uh, the problems that bald men have with their dating life. Well, you know, last time I checked, Sue, sa Sue says that bald is sexy. So, you know. I stand by that statement. That's yeah. right. She, she said it before yeah. recording began. But yes, it's good to, good to get her on record. We've talked about a lot of things on this podcast that we certainly have it on Impossible State before. We've just got a, a minute or so left, but I wanted to ask each of you, you know, who, who do you think is going to win? I have been in a room with both of them, and 
I think what, what, what we haven't gone into so much is Yoon is not just not a politician. He, he really comes across as not a politician and not in a good way. He really doesn't seem very sure-footed as a speaker or as a presence, you know, even when you're in, a, uh, uh, when you're in the room with him. His campaign team uh, sort of collapsed a couple of weeks ago amongst this, this factional infighting in the Conservative Party. And he's really relaunched himself almost as a kind of internet troll. I, instead of speaking um, and giving policy pronouncements, he's been making one-line Instagram posts um, saying things like uh, abolish the gender ministry, uh, hinting about, uh, about slogans about exterminating communists and things like this. And he's got himself wrapped up with this interesting uh, phenomenon of uh, young anti-feminist conservative men. And it comes across as, as pretty desperate. He's actually, a lot of the, the, the polls have him, uh, have him leading. Of, co- of course he could win. But I have to say my instinct is that ultimately Lee Jae-myung is a politician and a more assured politician. And he comes across that way in person. And I just wonder whether his background as a as a politician in the end um, will deliver deliver a victory for him. Now that seems very counterintuitive because we've been through a, a right across the world. We've had outsiders, uh, you know, doing things a different way. But the difference is that most of those uh, populist, so-called authentic outsiders, do it with immense confidence. And and Yoon doesn't have that. And um, so I would not be surprised. Um, despite it's so close and unpredictable, uh, if Lee was able to uh, to close it out in the end. Sue? I'll just famously tell you that intelligence community has been always wrong when it comes to South calling South Korean presidency, right? We didn't get Kim Dae-jung, we didn't get No Mu-hyun. So it's very close, it's hard to tell. And I do agree with Christian in the sense that Lee Jae-myung is no, I mean, just undoubtedly more charismatic and articulate and all of that. And normally the South Korean public likes to give each party a decade, right? So we had, you know, Kim Dae-jung, No Mu-hyun, Progressive Party had a decade. We had Lee Myung-bak, Park Geun-hye, and so on. Um, so yes, so if you look at that, Lee Jae-myung also has an edge on top of the fact that he has, he's more articulate, he's more of a politician and all of that. But... I don't think we can discount the current dissatisfaction that voters have with current state of their lives. You know, Moon is not that popular. So voters also want change. So I think it really comes down to whether this third party, third candidate, Anchorsu, that we didn't talk that much about, if he stays in the race, I think he's going to take votes that very critically, you know, important votes away from Yoon. And Lee Jae-myung is going to have that edge and win and pull it through. But if An su and Yoon, you know, unite, I think then there might be just enough momentum for Yoon to take it at the end. Victor, you get the benediction here. So, you know, the, this, la- this final scenario that Sue talked about, this is something that we've seen in Korean politics in the past. We've seen some very strange relationships uh, in the past just for the purpose of winning, third-party candidates joining one side or the other, fit for a K-drama again. So I think that's certainly a variable. And this fellow An Chal Su, who we didn't talk about much, private sector, very much a social critic, was popular at once and then kind of dropped off the political scene and now has reemerged. I can't tell whether the support for him 
is because people are just saturated. You know, they're oversaturated by the stories about the two candidates. I can't tell if it's about that or if it's genuine. I don't know, Christian, how you feel like about that. But obviously, that's a clear vari- variable. The other is COVID, right? I mean, I think that Korea right now is replete with the with the Omicron virus. It's now starting to take over in South Korea. It will certainly be on the decline, I expect, by the time people vote. But we just don't know, as, as Sue said, how much the public's dissatisfaction, you know, with Moon because of this last wave of Omicron will impact uh, the support for Lee. Third variable is a swing vote, right? I mean, there's a swing vote in Korea. As Christian said, the, you know, the Yun's sort of anti-feminist appealing to young Korean men, anti-Me Too movement, you know, that's going to obviously alienate a lot of women, right? And particularly younger women are a demographic that are not clearly politically aligned one way or the other in Korea. Uh, and then finally, of course, the scandals, right? If there are more scandals that come out, it's like, again, who has the ball last? Who has the biggest scandal before Election Day may be the one that, that, that loses out. So again, it's I just can't, I mean, I'm not saying this to be political. I mean, I really don't know right now who would win, but those are sort of the four variables for me that that matter. Well, this has been one of the most interesting and entertaining episodes of The Impossible State to date. So Christian Davies, thank you so much for being here with us. Sue, as always, we love being with you. And Victor, thank you. So uh, next time on The Impossible State, maybe we'll know who won. You'll know because I'll be in prison. (laughs) (laughs) For being bald or otherwise? (laughs) Thank you very much, everybody. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.com. .csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.